Hello and welcome everybody to the Leaders in Supply Chain podcast. I am your host, Radha Palamaryu, Global Logistics and Supply Chain Practice Head for Morgan Phillips Executive Search. We are in the business of recruiting top leaders to take businesses forward. And our job is also to connect you with global experts, thought leaders and executives in all things supply chain to share the latest developments in the industry. And today we will be hosting a slightly different setting where we will have a panel discussion on a very interesting topic for the industry. Diversity, more specific gender diversity as well, in supply chain. And for that we have here with us three guests that I'm very excited to introduce to you. Firstly, Anamike Gelder. Anamike has worked in various senior roles around supply chains for the last 17 years, covering various geographies and industries across Europe, Africa, the Americas and Asia. First as a consultant for Accenture across supply chain projects, subsequently worked for British Petroleum in several positions across pricing, supply chain and investment strategy, and later on for Dyson as Global Head of Procurement and Global Head of Logistics. Uh, moreover, since 2017, she started her own supply chain consulting company focused on procurement, logistics and end-to-end supply chain. Anamike, welcome. Thank you, Valerie. Saskia is our next uh, on, the, on the panel. Saskia is, uh, is also a long-standing professional in the supply chain space, having started her career in the building materials, uh, worked for Cement Australia and following which she, w- she was for several years in the global cement leader, Holcim where she served as Vice President of Supply Chain for one of the largest operations in Asia, namely Philippines. And in the last uh, couple of years, she has served as Asia Chief Operating Officer of Denco Logistics, part of MERS Group, and has just been promoted to take on the global CEO position. Furthermore, Saskia has recently been awarded the winner of Telstra Businesswoman in Asia Award. Saskia, welcome and pleasure to have you. Uh, and last and but not least, uh, we have Ingeborg Villanter, Inge is an experienced professional in international supply chain management for over 20 years in Europe and Asia for leading consumer, international consumer packaged goods companies like Kellogg, Sara Lee and British American Tobacco. Uh, starting off with Sara Lee in international supply chain management and retail collaboration out of Netherlands and subsequently worked for Kellogg's across Dublin, Hong Kong, Singapore and China in various senior roles across the supply chain and logistics functions. She was also Regional Head of Logistics Asia-Pacific for British American Tobacco and since August 2016 is the Senior Director of Logistics for Tapestry, former coach. Inge also sits on the Advisory Board of the Supply Chain Asia community. Inge, welcome as well. Thank you. Super, so um, very excited to have this discussion um, and, uh, and I would like to uh, maybe uh, ask the first question which is uh, also just to get a little bit of background from each of you. How did you end up with a career in supply chain? Was this a deliberate choice or how did it happen for, for each of you? Nimike, if you want to start. Um, yeah, interesting question because I was thinking about it. And in business school, I was very much intrigued about the whole logistics and operations modules. And thought, okay, that's pretty cool stuff. And so I really went on with that track. But I didn't know when I started work that I would sort of really continue that path because that's you don't know where you're going to be ending up, but throughout my career, it just went more and more specific into the supply chain space. Mm, super. Uh, Saskia, for you? Uh, my path is probably a little less conventional. So I was working for the executive committee with Holson, which is um, one of the world's largest <laughs> building materials groups. And during that process, you had a lot of exposure to actually what made the business tick. And over time, as we started to, to look at the profitability enablers, it was very clear that there were some untapped potential in the business, largely around logistics and procurement. So I was asked, would I take the role 
in Philippines and start looking at how do we bring this together into being something that's a differentiator in both how we serve our customers but also in how we, we drive the bottom line. Mm. Um, so I, I went with a pretty big blank piece of paper actually into the Philippines and, uh, you know, it's, it's a massive company there. So it was a really good opportunity to bring together all the formal training we have through business schools plus a lot of um, experience in industry to then see how does this fit as part of a business. But it is that last untapped mile, I think, in how businesses can really leverage both their customer and the bottom line. And I think that's, that's where it's quite an exciting industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of pulls, uh, pulls different resources together. So that's, that's quite mm. uh, holistic. How about you, Inge? Yeah, I think my path is more straightforward. I'm an industrial engineer and my specialization was in production and distribution logistics. So my first job ended also from uh, the specialization uh, I did at the end of the studies. And I was a project engineer for uh, distribution logistics for Saudi. Mm. So uh, that's really starting in logistics and uh, that's how I enrolled in the diverse uh, elements of the whole supply chain. I also um, good, good to know a little bit the, the background. Um, and now if, you were to, if we are to dip down uh, or deep dive a little bit into the today's topic um, and diversity in, in, in supply chain and diversity in the supply chain community, and obviously you have very good uh, examples of that. Um, but I would want to, to get your, your uh, individual perspectives into what's your thoughts and, and opinions on, on, uh, on diversity in supply chain in general. Maybe Saskia, if you want to start. Obviously, it has a long way to go, and I think nobody is challenging that. And I think there's two aspects to diversity. The gender topic has a very big mandate at the moment, but I think what underpins that is real diversity of thought, that boardrooms and executive leadership teams are actively bringing people onto their team that bring different perspectives. I think if you look around the supply chain industry, two things are really apparent to me. One is there's a lot of company management teams that are extremely cookie-cut homogenous. Um, and the second part to that is there's a lot of movement within the industry. So a lot of people just sort of move a step left, um, particularly amongst the 3PL players. And I don't think that brings real diversity or outside perspective to help the industry evolve and, and get out of things like the commodity trap. So the diversity of thought, I think, is a really essential ingredient into this industry starting to take bigger steps forward to realise its potential value to, to businesses like Tapestry, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I think Saskia touched on already on a point because why we are talking about uh, diversity or particular gender diversity is to get different perspectives. In the, in the work mm. environment. And uh, from like more from the manufacturing sites, uh, based on the experience that I have, like indeed there is still a way to go. Probably we talk more about percentages of 25-30% uh, if you look to either within supply chain, but then across functions like procurement or manufacturing, logistics, customer service, there's still uh, a complete variety uh, within the companies as well. And there's also in the, a huge variety among the different industries, like in the FMCG industries, uh, and I'm working more uh, in the luxury uh, fashion. Uh, that's where I see a higher level of uh, diversity among the, the whole workforce. And like Tetris is a company that is very committed to inclusion and diversity uh, as part of the, the core values. And some of the past companies I've worked for, they also have that only agenda to bring in as part of the, the, the culture. 
but I think Tapestry has been uh, quite leading in that, uh, and I see that reflected already in the in the whole um, setup of the company, different layers, uh, different. Uh, if you talk about gender diversity from age groups to uh, different nationalities, there's a completely broad uh, uh, setup, uh, a good mix, I would say. And other companies like. Uh, Female probably are more attractive to uh, like food or personal care industries. Uh, some companies I worked for, they are less, uh, they might be less attractive uh, uh, from a female perspective. So I think that also has to do slightly with the industry. You probably see that also in, in the, the real more uh, tough business to business environment uh, or port authorities or that's mainly or like yes, or, yeah. uh, So there is a We'll conclude on that there's a variety among the different functions within the supply chain and there's still a variety among the different industries. Uh, it's still a way to go. Yes. But I mean also it's good it's good as an example in what you mentioned about tapestry. And I think there's a few companies that are quite more more and more companies at least it's a positive trend that are are doing things and are conscious about about inclusion, about diversity, about including that in their missions, objectives, uh, have putting it on the agenda and making sure that they, uh, they have it very clearly stated, which is a good thing. Um, Miki, how about, uh, how about uh, yourself? I think there is supply chain as a function itself. It also struggles a little bit with an image. It sort of doesn't have, per se, a very clear structure in each and every company and sort of how it's being organized. And therefore, it's also difficult to attract talent in general. Um, and, but there's a massive diversity in the, in the type of interactions and the type of roles that you have, but they're not necessarily at first an obvious career choice. And I think that's really difficult for a lot of people to comprehend when they're setting up their careers. And to then attract talent and a diverse pool of talent, it's going to be, a, it's already a more difficult proposition to start off with. And then like the typical pink topics, if you like, like fashion, food, and um, healthcare and, and, and well-being would then be a more obvious choice and it's more well-known to people and then sort of some supply chains become more accessible mm. if you like for people but otherwise in the more B2B um, commodity types of industries are not that obvious of a choice per se and that's where a lot of the supply chain activity sits yes absolutely um and it's 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 uh, yeah it's usually the not so sexy uh, places right where where we struggle to have this diversity more than uh, like you said uh, uh, you know on the on the consumer side and uh, on the luxury side and, and, and all those aspects. Um, I think there's just one thing to add to that. Having worked in heavy industry and now um, in, in a company like Dunkirk, actually there seems to be what I have seen certainly across emerging parts of Asia, there is a lot of women, really a lot of women in the business, even in, in cement manufacturing, which is a really unsexy business. It's actually pretty cool when you get to know it. But it's, um, you know, nobody sort of goes through university and says, well, I want to be, you know, in cement manufacturing. And I worked with many really strong females. What happens is it's that gap from sort of upper mid-management to senior management. And I know this is actually a universal problem. I don't think this is just a supply chain problem. This is something that is endemic um, in many industries where you just don't get that from, say, you know, we're a nine-level organisation, from, say, a level five to a level six, which becomes a real leadership level. And I think that's where we have to be a lot more active, um, you know, in, in all of us. And I think, to your point, you know, conscious 
of making those choices. But the question is also then related to that: what is pulling women back to yes. make that advancement in that area? And like, uh, especially if you, I've worked in the past also in a few very male-dominant environments, uh, and uh, like you see, it's the, the networking. You, you need to have a few skills uh, really to to excel and to be seen uh, if you want to make a career steps. Mm-hmm. So, and that's often, I think, uh, this whole general discussion about what are the skill sets we need, uh, it's the self-confidence of women uh, that, that is required, uh, the networking skills, um, for women, you often hear, okay, they're far more rational, you said, get aware, especially if you have a family at home, and if you try to balance, you get uh, the work done in the time that you're in the office, and that's, for certain years, that can hold yeah. uh, selective well, networking, so... Uh, is, will that help you to be seen and to make yourself well-known role in your organization? Because really, that's part also of career mm-hmm. development. Uh, women do have a certain tendency to walk in. Uh, in Good point. And also, I mean, uh, it, it boils down to all of this and as well as to mindset. Because sometimes the issue, the ma- major issue is mindset of the organization or of the current management team, which historically in most industries has been male-dominated. I mean, it's just um, and that, uh, that I think, needs a little bit of upgrading or, or, or shifting or, or moving uh, as well. Because uh, in most cases, it's not, uh, of course, we all have commitments and definitely on the family side, it's more taxing for, for, uh, for a woman than for a man, maybe. But there's not the reason that the, that the management position is not available or is not available. And I don't believe it's actually a women's issue, per se. Mm-hmm. It's an organization issue. And any company that really wants to drive innovation and their top line forward, they should think about having more diverse teams in general and whether that's a gender issue, it's like diversity at large uh, that can really bring that innovation and, uh, and increase productivity forward. And there's so much research being done about it, but it's not a female issue. So for me, sort of creating more female networking groups is great. But actually, it's like, well, what are sort of boards doing about this? Like, what is like the male leadership doing about it? And it's sort of that is where a lot of the voice needs to sort of come from. Mm-hmm. And and to to this point, and kind of to leave way into the next uh, into the next uh, question, um, what do you think are the right now as we as we speak? What are, do you think are some of the critical skills that that you need uh, today? be successful because now you know, supply chains are more and more international, more and more diverse, more and more digital. What do you think uh, is critical in today's um, Yeah, I think a few points, like um, how I also uh, say to my teams uh, I've done in the past, like try to develop your young in your career broadly, like functional, different functions uh, and, and look into different industries because then you will be quite well a more well-rounded uh, skill and ideally end-to-end. Um, I also say focus on a few uh, on the four C's, like be also commercial focus, so always know wherever you are in the whole value chain, uh, what is the value you create for uh, by, your, by your company or by your own team, for all your stakeholders, uh, for the services you deliver to, but also in the whole value chain where you sit. Uh, I think that's a very uh, good skill to have. Uh, really think 
partially uh, within the supply chain, be uh, uh, connecting the dots, so connecting the different silos, and collaborate, collaborate a lot with your stakeholders internally, like uh, procurement, manufacturing, finance, if you're on the demand planning side, really understand what's the impact uh, upstream, and also be creative in a way, uh, creativity in the supply chain steps out, and uh, think out of the box, uh, that's what really helps. Mm. And those are really cool skills, and that does sort of the fun thing about supply chain. If you're sort of constantly collaborating, creative, uh, being creative about finding their solutions or communicating. But I would really add to that you do need to like your numbers too. There's an analytical piece in the space as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And more and more important, I mean, uh, um, we are actually working on, on several assignments now, which is deeply rooted into analytics. Data science is becoming more and more important. Uh, being able to pull that, uh, that vast big data and that vast amount of information and making sense of it is, is, is crucial. And getting accurate data in the first place is, is, is quite more important. I, I like very much what Inga said about getting into that commercial space. I think too few women go through the P&L side of the business which is potentially, I was just putting the dots together actually while you were talking, which is also one of those roadblocks to getting to senior management levels because you've just got to have had that, that commercial and P&L exposure to be credible in senior business leadership positions. So I think that is, and, and, and loving your numbers is, is very much there. In terms of, of the point on what is in, involved in the transformation, I think it's people like us taking active time to coach young women through the business. And it is that one-on-one and the role modelling and talking to them about um, where they see um, their challenges. I have 11 that I spend time on, and they're all people that have reached out just randomly and said, look, you know, could, could you spend some time with me? Um, there's one male and the rest are, are rest are women, and I'm quite equal. I'll spend my time anywhere if people want it. Um, but what's quite interesting is the topics that they ask for help on. It is authority and presentation making. How do I have more presence? How do I lead with um, authenticity so that I'm not trying to be something that I'm not? How can I be comfortable in that space? Um, and then the conversation I had with a young woman who's coming through our business at the moment uh, yesterday was actually around group dynamics. And, and she was explaining what is happening in a room and what she can get a sense of. And how does she then work with that to be able to do something with it? So it was really, it was really good. And it reminds me a lot of things that you've learned over the years that, that you sort of don't use every day. But it is that active, um, that active pulling the next generation through and, then, and showing them what's, what's possible. And I think equally for, for, from a true diversity point of view, it's not easy for anyone. And I think it is recognising that, that, that those years in getting to a senior management position, that hard, there is no easy way. It is simply hard, right? You have to do your numbers, you have to get out there, you do do long hours and you have to travel. And that there is no easy way around that. I know in my company what I love very much is, is then the ability to make your work-life balance your own. So if you've had to travel back over a Saturday, then do what you need to on a Monday but work from home. You know, you get this... this balance that I feel I have ownership over and that's quite empowering and feeling comfortable in my position and feeling that you know I can balance um, my family's needs with with mine and I think you know that is very much the question for people as they come through how do I handle all of this but again I think if we can give people PL really meaningful PL roles as, as women 
And if we can then coach the women as senior leaders coming through and make them aware it's possible, but they have to be also prepared to dig in, not get there just because of a woman or, or of a nationality or whatever it is that we're looking for in diversity at the time. Yeah. And I mean, uh, typically in life, uh, hard work is part of the part of the package, and no matter what you do, it's a, it's a, it's a prerequisite. Um, and indeed, the, having that kind of supporting context around and and uh, and uh, supporting organization around is is also critical. Mm-hmm. And maybe that that we can see a lot more uh, in, in, in today's context and in the future. But maybe um, one point to add to that because that's where I think in Asia you have such variety as well. Eh? Like. Still, uh, we deal in, in this part of the world where we want to bring and also group the talent from the, the local countries to uh, bring into the management teams of the, the local. Yeah. Like, if we talk about Bangladesh or Pakistan or uh, like from my past environments as well. And uh, that's where also gender equality is even in the social uh, structure, not uh, yes. like that. So, some markets have way to go when. Those, uh, I've been to countries where uh, I was also talking, I went to Bangladesh, talking to the group of women there in the company, we had quite a good uh, spread on different levels. But the way uh, for them to be far more assertive, to be speak out, and like, still where to go in some cultures. And that's where it can help definitely with uh, what you also mentioned, the coaching, uh, the mentoring, where they learn, where they learn the tools and the tricks. Um, uh, that can help them to grow and authentically in their environment. I think that's that's yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where coming back to your point, also the the, the whole male, uh, the whole society needs to be trained for women becoming more inclusive. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In Asia, there's still a way to go. And and if I can ask, because uh, it would be good maybe to go to the, the point where um, how what have you seen and how can uh, organizations groom future female leaders? I mean, have you have you seen some good case studies? Have you seen some uh, some organizations that do this well? Um, maybe it's it's a good time also to, to do a little bit of a sharing session in terms of what uh, what is happening on the market and what are some good examples. Maybe Monique, if you want to start, also from the startup scene. As well. Um. So I work for a number of larger companies, and I think those sort of companies that are really putting an effort on diversity and inclusion and have like formalized programs and even like formalized mentoring programs. My time in BP, there were like female groups, and like uh, we have in here in Asia, like women in oil and gas type of gathering groups, and actually it's more guys joining those groups as well because there seems to be a lot of drinks going on. <laughs> and um, so, but that sort of Put the topic an awareness to the topic and actually sort of also approaching it in a, in a, in a very diverse way which I think is really great um, when you then sort of move now into sort of an, an arena where I'm now more involved in the whole startup scene there's still a lot of um, that's still very much dominated by by um, by males and probably also because they're sort of a little bit less uh, risk averse uh, Sort of taking those bolder steps and um, to, to, to venture out, um, and there's a lot of technology underpinning a lot of the startups. And technology is very much driven by an engineering group and sort of the tech guys, and that's not a very diverse community in itself. I'll make sort of if you just look at numbers, and um, so that is sort of not necessarily bringing that level of diversity and innovation that you would expect, which is like a massive opportunity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And especially because we're talking about startups and we're talking about people that should be creative and they should bring that. Exactly. Yeah. To the, to the table, right? And yeah. Come up with a new solution. Yeah. Mm. Saskia? Um, so close to home within Danco, I think what's quite interesting, I think we're relatively mature. So if I look around at the regional COOs, three out of four are actually female. And there's a lot of different nationalities. So Trang, who is our EMEA COO, is um, Vietnamese, working in a um, Middle Eastern environment. Christine, who is American, heads up the Europe COO community. Um, I was here, so I think as an Australian, so I think we have a, a good balance. And it's even in the next levels down, and that was something I was relatively conscious. So of our area COOs, three are female and, and three are male. And that wasn't deliberate. That was actually, they're the right people for the job, and people were given a lot of equal consideration. Um, our country head in China, which is a really big part of our business, is a, is a Chinese woman, and she's fantastic. Same in Indonesia. We've got an Indonesian woman, and she was deliberately brought through as a successor candidate and had proper development programs around preparing her to take that role from her former predecessor, was a German man. So just to give an idea on, on how that works. There are other companies like Telstra, which I'm familiar with because of, of recent events, and they have programs where 50% of all candidates for roles must be female. And I know we were looking at doing this in Wholesome, but with a, a probably not as much, I think, obvious success, where one in three should be. And if you didn't have that candidate, then what was the reason why and how did you then actively build a pipeline so you could bring people through things like um, your background and with process engineering and so on. But I think it has to be a very deliberate, conscious choice to at least get a mix of diversity at the recruitment um, candidate level so that you're making a, a judgment of equal consideration. And I think that's where you start to get a seismic shift then in, in who can come through the business. And the conversation that I have over and over again is the stretch assignment. Is somebody ready? And I know that um, there's been uh, much said about this, you know, from some like people like Cheryl Sandberg about, you know, that that some some people will just go, yeah, I'm ready for that development, and other people go, oh, is she ready? Can she can she do that? And my advice there is give give the person the go, but back them up, give them the chance of success by providing a coach in the business and by providing clarity around expectations so that people do have an opportunity to come in and show what they can do rather than going with a conservative choice of, you know, somebody you know, which I think does often happen. <laughs> so it's, um, it is around those two, those two things. But I can say there is movement, but again, it starts at the top and it's really that, that conscious decision-making, I think you said it, from a board level to say, well, actually, this is important to us. We do recognise the benefits and they're well spoken about. And I think just, just to end on a, on a question, it frustrates me that we're still having awareness discussions at this point in time when this has been a topic for 10 years. So what decisions are boards making, really? And um, Uber's my most frustrating example, but uh, yeah. where, where you bring out the token female at the end when you know, the sky's falling down. And, uh, anyway, I'll go into that. But it, it's really that discussion around... Um, how do we make active decisions and then actively set people up so they've got a chance of doing well? Yeah, oh, it's a it's excellent point. And uh, um, indeed, I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a reality. We've got to put it on the table. I mean, still, if you look in most companies at the board level, most, mostly it's still the same kind of demographics. It's, uh, it's not very gender uh, balanced. Um, it takes time. It's not even like, color balanced. It's not even color balanced, yes. Um, 
it takes time. Like every, everything takes uh, takes a long time because uh, it's, it's more mindset and perception than, than what people were used to. Yes. Um, yeah. In uh, in uh, in uh, in certain industries, it, it definitely and depending on the companies, and I think maybe sometimes it's associated with the more the companies in the eye of the press, the more they need to also you know show that they're doing all the right things. Right. It's kind of like the politically correct, but you know it's, it's that's also setting a good trend. There are companies. Uh, there's one of our clients that actually have. Uh, I think you mentioned also with the fifty percent of the applicants. They also have a certain. Uh, they enforce a certain KPI and a certain measurement to make sure that everybody is given a, uh, an equal chance or the company has an equal chance, which is also maybe it's a bit forced, but also it's good because it, it, it kind of makes people do that. So um, yeah, there's some there's some good uh, sharing. India, do you have some? some... Yeah, just based on the experience, like uh, in Germany. Asia operations uh, workshop or director level on the boat. There are about 60 people, and there was a 50 50 split, I would say, mm-hmm. among the gender. So uh, it was well balanced, from my experience. That's um, why I think tapestry also on the difference in the broader general management uh, levels, there's uh, quite a good, great leaders, female leaders that work now uh, in the organization. In some of the past companies, I know in the, the first company I started, uh, it was around the year 2000 already, where the incentives came to the general managers or into the operation eventually to put uh, females in their management team or in their functional management team. And I know some might even misuse that. And then, yeah, that's and the case. Suddenly, the, the whole management team was, was female. And then I always ask about uh, what that would mean for the bonus of that uh, GM in that country. And, um, but I think it is about, uh, in, in the in Kellogg's we had uh, uh, set up, uh, chaired by the female president of one of the beat countries. Uh, she was also contesting to bring this topic on. And uh, set up the Women of Kellogg. Uh, it was a group where we would discuss only all kinds of topics where women would uh, feel far more fulfilled in the, the, the work environment uh, on all different levels. And it was an open uh, community to, to network and uh, to learn from uh, guest speakers, uh, have reflections, but also clearly set some, uh, some policies. So uh, we defined like a kind of toolkit for uh, even if people would step out, they could take a sabbatical or uh, even on maternity, when uh, to prepare the work uh, place around you, because often people step out for for five months, and then like people are just taking up uh, the work without preparing the environment, the colleagues, and uh, putting maybe somebody as an assignment. Clearly, to fulfill that, it's also far more fair for the colleagues around. Um, and all these type of uh, instruments, like uh, um, where discussed and uh, really taken up by the by the management, female management, supported by female management. Mm. It's still a platform that is discussed. And one of the uh, KPIs uh, we agreed at that time with HR is to put always 50% female leaders in every leadership uh, force that would be in the organization. Okay. So uh, sometimes you end in a uh, 50% female participation. It's really to enforce as an organization yourself in a process. It's the same with the number of interviews that you 
you want to have the best candidate, no matter what exactly. is the Exactly. But you want to build the diverse uh, reflection of the society, so make sure that you uh, try better as, as a company. That's yeah. I think the whole, the whole purpose. But then finding the right candidates, it's good to put in some KPIs like uh, at least 50% of the interviews should be uh, from a different backgrounds or mm. uh, based on gender. So you could make a selection. There are definitely ways to do that. Yeah. It's all how HR or the regional management or top management and it's also about reflecting the norm because I mean if it's not the norm to have any sort of females in the workforce and suddenly there pops one up in your interview process that still looks odd and that's a problem sort of as part of this whole recruitment process that you have to have at least like three out of four candidates increase their hiring rate with 67% that the female will get the job. So that is massive. So you have 75% of the of the interview candidate pool to be um, sort of a, to increase the chance of a hiring to 67%. And that's bizarre. There's research done on that space as well. Well because it's not part of the norm. And and that's that's where Sort of things go a little bit skewed. It's like even if you set those, you really need to set, start setting those targets that there's an increased number of having that diversity to start changing that norm and start challenging it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, 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 to add on what was being said, and uh, I want to reinforce also the idea that it is, it really comes from the top. And the top management and, and the, the board sets a clear message and direction. I mean, it's not just paying lip service. If you if you really endorse, if you if you create different programs, create different uh, KPIs, and you back it up and you, you show your support, one of our clients uh, the, on the on the board that they are always reinforcing and reinforcing and reinforcing. It sets a very strong message across the organization and outside of the organization. Because what also what is happening in uh, with the generation Y and generation. How they call the, the ones the millennials, the, yeah, millennials. the millennials, uh, yeah, the millennials, and uh, they really want to belong to an organization that is diverse. And and one one uh, one CEO recently told me that um, they went to a career fair and they presented the company and they were all males. And then one of the students who was uh, was female asked him, "So do you, do you have any any females on your board? Or what's happening?" And then he realized, "Wow!" And she was she was twenty twenty two, but there's a strong expectation and message from the younger population around those lines and I think that will also transform. You have to be able to see yourself in that future and I remember a company I worked for before there was an African-American gay man who worked with us who was fantastic but we were working in Switzerland and he said I don't think this is my company I cannot see myself represented anywhere you know and it was a very homogenous leadership panel that, you know, he said, yeah, I don't think this is for me. And, and he went and joined another company where, as he said, he was he was much more reflected in the DNA of the company and and had a really, and has had actually a stellar career since since doing that. And I thought it always stayed with me when he said that. And I thought he was absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, back to the point where, I mean, uh, it is, it makes, uh, and, and there's, there's case studies and there's, there's research being done, it makes business sense for diversity. Diversity is better for business, is better for the client. Yeah. And we have a long way to go still, but 
That's a fantastic news for the young professionals that are eager to learn and to expose themselves. They're fantastic opportunities. Like uh, with Target said now, if you are a young, ambitious uh, female in the supply chain, you can you can come along, right? Yeah. Because uh, if you are too well and you perform well in an interview, probably you have a higher success rate if the company is low on, on gender diversity. They give you a preference compared to if you're equal to your yeah. your male participants. They probably they give you maybe that equal that consideration. Uh, consideration. We're actually about, it just made me think, we're actually about to start trialling into the new year a new um, approach because it is that maternity leave age gap too where it's difficult sometimes for people to come back and then also the business has big question marks on how do we fill that role while the person's not there. So we've looked at our shared service centre in India and we're going to start assigning people from India into our operations business um, to fill the maternity leave time that somebody needs to take off. So that we've got the cross-training for interest and they're getting development, growth and, and exposure into the broader business. And then the person who's taking maternity leave has, has somebody already equipped with the skills who can come and fill that role for the duration that they're out. So it also helps to leverage, because we're a multinational sort of style businesses, helps leverage the network. And um, that idea actually came out of our India business and it fits a deliberate business need, but it supports so many other parts of how the business can grow and develop and benefit from it. So I think that's quite that's an exciting. Yeah, so it, we had our first call on it on Monday night. So I'm quite keen to see how that develops. Yeah, excellent example. And I think there's more and more, and I think more, the more noise will be created, the more of these things will become the norm, and then uh, slowly everything will change in perception and mindset. Uh, is on the way to being changed, but indeed, uh, as always, it takes a little bit of time. Um, Great, so thank you very much for the sharing, for the, for the good case studies, for the good examples, for the good, uh, for the good interaction. Appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for, for being with, uh, with us today, Saskia and Mike Inge. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, you know, we'll continue and we'll see much more uh, diversity coming up in this. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on radopalamario.com slash podcast for all the show notes, links, and extra tips covered in the interview. Make sure also to subscribe to our emailing list to get the news in the nick of time. If you're listening through a streaming platform like iTunes or Stitcher and you like what we do, please kindly review and give us five stars so we can keep the energy flowing and get more people to find out about our podcast. I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me to stay tuned for our latest uh, articles as well as future guests for the podcast and if you have any suggestions or any other idea please feel free to write to me i respond to all and also please make sure not to miss our next episode where we will be having a few other c-level and top leaders in supply chain joining us stay tuned